Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who began his broadcasting career in Calgary with CF. AC Radio, where he served as the play-by-play man for the Calgary Centennials of the Western Hockey League. He would move on to work for CBC Television in Edmonton. He was the network's gymnastics commentator during the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal. He also worked for eight years as a sports director and Montreal Canadiens pre- and post-game show host at CFCF Radio. He has called Washington Capital Games on home team sports, hosted the Baltimore Orioles pre- and post-game shows, co-hosted syndicated hockey uh, college basketball games with Billy Packer and Gary Williams. He was awarded a regional Emmy Award for his play-by-play work with and won a, N, a UPI National Broadcasting Award for his work at WBAL. In 93, he became the voice of the expansion Panthers. He remained there with the team until the conclusion of the 2000 NHL season. While with the Panthers, he also co-hosted internationally syndicated inside the NHL radio program with John Davidson. He left the Panthers to join the Columbus Blue Jackets, where he serves as the TV's play-by-play announcer. Who better to talk about Artemi Panarin and John Davidson than the one and only voice of the Blue Jackets, Jeff Rimmer. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Nice to be with you. It's our pleasure, and that is an unbelievable list of things. And before we talk about the Breadman and JD, let's talk a little bit about your amazing career. You're a 20-year-old college student at Mount Royal University in Calgary. You did radio and also had a half-hour TV show called Sportscope. One of your earliest guests was Muhammad Ali. Can you tell our audience a little bit about how that came about and what that was like for a 20-year-old to interview Muhammad Ali? Boy, you really dug deep. Uh, I'll tell you, it, uh, it was something that uh, I would probably uh, wish today that I would have uh, some video of that interview because what had happened was Ali had just been stripped of the world heavyweight title. And he came to Calgary, and I was going to Mount Royal at the time, Mount Royal University today, and uh, I was in the communications program, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have a half-hour TV show on the local cable channel. And uh, it was uh, at the Stampede Grounds that they had this major news conference with all kinds of network reporters from Canada and the U.S., plus, of course, all the locals there. And Angelo Dundee, his longtime manager, was just a terrific person who I got to get to know a lot better once I moved to Florida and was broadcasting Florida Panthers hockey alongside a Ranger nemesis, if you will, in the name of Dennis Botvan for 10 years in Florida. But not to digress, I went to the press conference and uh, asked Dundee if I could uh, talk to the champ. And he said, no problem, young man. I assume you have a camera. And I said, no, I don't have a camera, but I've got a studio. And the studio is a mile and a half up McLeod Trail, just uh, oh, a stone's throw from the Stampede Grounds, where right now, in fact, here in early July, uh, the Stampede is going on in Calgary. And I strongly suggest anybody that uh, has not gone to the Calgary Stampede uh, from the New York area, Spend some time I've in been. It's uh, amazing. Canada. What's that? This is AJ. I've been to the Stampede. It was years ago. It was one of the more amazing experiences. Oh, it is. It's a lot of fun. It is. 
But anyway, again, not to get off topic, uh, so Dundee said, sure, young man, we'll talk to the champ when uh, everybody else has finished their one-on-ones and we'll see what we can do. Well, the one-on-ones came and everybody was wrapping up and Dundee uh, and Ali came together and Muhammad had his uh, entourage there, including Boudini Brown. And uh, Dundee was kind enough to point to me and say to the champ, this young man here would like to interview you. And Ali kind of gave me the once-over, and up and down, he said, okay, where's your camera, kid? And the place just broke up, because all these people that uh, knew me and, uh, locally, plus all the national people, sure, we're going to get the heavyweight champion of the world, hop into a limo, and drive from the Stampede Grounds up to do the studio show. Well, Ali looked around, heard everybody laughing, looked back at me, and he said, let's go, kid. He was going to show these people that... Uh, uh, he had a soft uh, spot in his heart, and I'll tell you what, he certainly did. I race up to the studio to get there ahead of Ali and the entourage and uh, tell everybody to get the studio ready. Well, nobody will believe me. The secretaries are running around because word had spread quickly that uh, the heavyweight boxing champion could possibly be coming to our little studio. Well, about five minutes later, in walks Ali. We go, we do the interview. And uh, at the conclusion of the interview, he turns to me and he says, what did you say your name was? And I said, Jeff Rimmer. Well, Ali turned to the camera and said, I've been on with David Frost and Dick uh, Cabot and uh, uh, Johnny Carson went on and on and on. And this young man here held his own with me, Muhammad Ali, and I predicted five years to be the greatest, the most outstanding, the most controversial sportscaster in the world. I said, thank you. He said, in your dreams, got up and walked out. <laughs> yeah, when you tell that story, I, I, you, know, you know how they do the, the documentary, the, the mockumentaries where they, they reenact the scene? Yeah. I, I just saw that whole thing play out <laughs> in my head in a small little studio. It's, such, it's an awesome story. But you also have a famous bout of your own that took place in Olympic Stadium, so <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit more about your bout with the hit king, Pete Rose? Oh, man, you're, you're asking me to go to these long stories, but uh, 1983 World Series. Uh, it was a situation where the Phillies lost to the Baltimore Orioles, where I ended up going in 1984. Uh, anyway, uh, Ali, or sorry, I've got Ali on the brain here now. <laughs> Pete Rose was released by the Phillies after that loss in the World Series. And I was doing a talk show in Montreal at the time, and I called Rose and I said, you could help bring a World Series championship to Montreal. Because if you remember in those early 80s, the Expos had outstanding teams, led by a guy that helped the Mets win the World Series in 86 by the name of Gary Carter, who unfortunately is not with us anymore and turned out to be one of my best friends. Uh, he and his wife, Sandy, and my wife, uh, we were very, very close in our years in Montreal. But uh, anyway, uh, I said, I'm going to start a campaign to get ownership here in Montreal to bring you in. You can, pre- you can present the intangibles. You're a leader, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, uh, Rose came on the show once a week, said, judge me by what I can do on the field, not by my birth certificate. And I remember in November... Uh, Charles Bronfman, then the owner, whose son, Stephen Bronfman, right now is trying to bring the Expos back to life in Montreal with the return of Major League Baseball. And uh, he, Bronfman, also owned our radio TV station at the time, CFCF. 
And he came out and said, I don't care what Rimmer says, and listening to Pete Rose, we are not going to sign Pete Rose. Well, January 19th, I've got the picture to prove it. <laughs> Pete Rose puts on an Expos uniform. Expos signed him to a uh, one-year contract. He comes to training camp. We were the best of buddies. We get to the early part of the season, and Doug Flynn, who was part of the big red machine with Pete, they were very, very close. And Doug Flynn would ask repeatedly, play me or trade me. They put him in. I'll never forget it. It's a weekend series against the Pirates, four-game weekend series. It's a Thursday night. Flynn goes in as a defensive replacement for Rodney Scott, makes two errors. The Expos lose 5-4 to Pittsburgh, and after the game, it's a Thursday night. I'm doing the post-game show up in the booth. I miss this, but Rose just blasts me. Say, this guy, Rimmer, is the most negative guy that he's ever heard on the radio, and uh, he's played in Cincinnati and Philadelphia, and they have their shock jocks, but this guy, Rimmer, is the worst. Well, it's headlines of the paper on Friday. I go to Pete, and I say, Pete, what about this? Pete said he was misquoted, taken out of context. You name it, he said it. I said, Pete, I'll do a commentary tonight. And uh, I'll tell you what, I won't be misquoted because I'll make sure I tape it for you and you can hear it. Well, I didn't have to tape it because Rose had the radio station on in the clubhouse after batting practice and everybody heard it. He then told the players he was going to call the postgame show on Friday night. Well, Friday night I did the show from the restaurant at Olympic Stadium called Salon 76. Halfway through the show, my producer back in the studio says, Pete Rose wants to come on the air. Well, we put him on, and he says, Rimmer, you owe me an apology. I said, Pete, I don't owe you an apology. No, you do. You're trying to ruin my reputation. I've spent all these years in baseball. No apology from me. He ends up hanging up. Saturday we're the NBC game of the week, so uh, I don't have any responsibilities. So I'm going in to get some post-game uh, commentary uh, Saturday after the game. And uh, I walk in, Jim Wolford, Chris Spire, two utility players, got boxing gloves on, and I was very friendly with the players. I obviously traveled with them. They're all like contemporaries, age-wise, etc. Everybody's trying to lighten things up. They've got boxing gloves, these guys, and they're yelling, Pete, 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 Rimmer, Rimmer, Rimmer. I go over to Pete's locker, and I say, Pete, here's the tape from last night. You tell me where I've ever criticized you. Hell, I helped you get a job here with the Expos. Next thing I know, he stands up, grabs me. Uh, I hit the ground. I'm not going to let Pete Rose hit me. I'm just a little guy. And uh, Gary Carter comes over, and Chris Spire came over, started a little bit of a melee. Uh, Carter picks him up, throws him across the locker room, or the clubhouse, if you will, in baseball. And uh, in walks John McHale, the president of the Expos. He says, what is going on here? He goes after the manager, Bill Burt. Say, this guy's an ambassador for our team, meaning me. Anyway, uh, the station has been sold, and the new owners are threatening a lawsuit uh, against the Expos and Pete Rose. The ownership, led by Charles Bronfman, called for a meeting on Sunday morning at Olympic Stadium, and Pete apologizes. Later, he would say that... Uh, he left uh, his feet to get me because uh, he wanted to rally the guys because I was friendly with a lot of the players, which was a bunch of bunk. Uh, Pete later apologized again. That's the same time that uh, he would be released by the Expos, and if you recall, went back to Cincinnati as playing manager when all his issues off the field started. 
And uh, the end of the story is that uh, I've cert- certainly talked to Pete a number of times since, visited with him in Las Vegas, and uh, things are fine, but uh, it was kind of a tense situation there for a bit. Yeah, those were two of my favorite players at that time. I actually went up to Montreal to see Pete Rose and Gary Carter. They, I mean, two you of those know, guys. Before- I'll never forget in, in Bill Lee's book, he actually described Gary Carter. He said an ex- the first game that Billy ever saw Gary Carter play an exhibition game in, Carter like was playing the outfield and ran into a wall, and he said it reminded him of, of Pete Rose on steroids. Interesting you mentioned the Expos. I don't know if you saw the picture of uh, Max Scherzer wearing his Expos jersey. It was very cool. Saw that. Yeah, awesome. Saw that. And, and he actually warm, did his warm bullpen during right, the week yeah. doing, doing an Expos. Let me, before Mark talks hockey with you and a lot of current things, question I have for you, Jerry, you've done a lot of things over your career, a lot of play-by-play, more than 2,000 hockey games, you did baseball, and you've also done sports talk radio. Which, what is the difference, which do you like better, being controversial in sports talk radio or doing play-by-play? Uh, I, I enjoy the hockey play-by-play, although I've got to admit, I really enjoyed uh, uh, doing talk radio my years in Montreal and in Baltimore. In Baltimore, I was on a 50,000-watt station, WBAL, and we would get phone calls from all across the East Coast. uh, I enjoyed those years, uh, but uh, the softness of my heart, obviously, coming from Canada and growing up with hockey. Actually, you talked about John Davidson, who I'm pretty happy to say is, uh, as much as I'm not uh, pleased to see him leave Columbus, I'm happy that he's back in New York with the Rangers. He's born to be a Ranger. John and I go back to high school together because when I first moved to Calgary from Toronto, I'm a Toronto boy, and uh, my father passed away. My mom remarried, and we moved to Calgary. First day of homeroom in grade 10, I walked in, and uh, there was J.D., and we've been best friends ever since. And he was playing for those Calgary Centennial hockey teams when I was doing the play-by-play. And uh, we have been uh, uh, great friends ever since. And uh, it wasn't easy for him to leave Columbus because he enjoyed the city, enjoyed building the Blue Jackets into a team that uh, we all hope before too long has a chance to compete for Stanley Cup. But uh, going back to New York was uh, was a no-brainer for him. And J.D. is synonymous with the Rangers and beloved by Ranger fans. And uh, I'll tell you what, he will build a team that uh, will not uh, wait too long down the road here to, again, challenge for a Stanley Cup as well. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, over before he took this job, over last summer I had interviewed him for the 1979 Ranger book I, I was doing, and he was talking about his time here in New York and, and playing and then being a broadcaster. And he kept on saying that he's told every player that he's ever come across that if you ever have the opportunity to play in New York, you, you have to do it because it challenges you in, in, in ways that you can't imagine and brings out the best as a player. And I happened to mention being a Ranger fan as I was doing that interview. I said, well, I hope you tell your impending free agent that. And he, he chuckled. He, he said, well, that's going to be interesting to see that, how that plays out. And so how much of a factor do you think J.D. was in, in getting Panarin to agree to less money to come play for the Rangers? Well, obviously the familiarity between the two, and, and as John told me when they brought him in for that Tuesday meeting before he signed, uh, the week before, obviously, uh, players could sign. Uh, they spent a lot of time together, and uh, Artemi certainly uh, was familiar with J.D. They talked when the two of them were with us at Columbus. 
So uh, I, I'm sure that was a factor. But uh, I've got to really be honest with you. And uh, it's funny because when Panarin was traded from Chicago, early in the season, we were in Pittsburgh for a game against the Penguins. And I was coming down from breakfast and walking down the stairs. And Artemi, uh, as you know, uh, coming from Russia and still not comfortable with the English language, although he does understand quite a bit, I will say that. Uh, sometimes you have to explain things to him, and I certainly did that. But we're walking down the stairs, and he said, we have friends together. And I turned to him, and I said, oh, really? And he said, yes. He said, Misha, Misha Manchik. Well, Misha Magic uh, was uh, very close with another former Ranger and Florida Panther by the name of Pavel Bure. And I developed a pretty good friendship with uh, Magic because he ended up being hired by the Blue Jackets, or excuse me, by the, uh, by the Florida Panthers. And we got to be pretty close. And he, had, he did have a little to do with uh, the undrafted Panarin going to Chicago. Artemi told me there were something like 11 teams that wanted to sign him as a free agent initially. And uh, he made the determination that uh, he wanted to uh, play for Chicago, the Blackhawks, and play with Patrick Kane. And uh, anyway, we developed a pretty good friendship. So I talked quite a bit to uh, Panera in this past season. And I knew he had uh, a love for New York. He loved that big stage. He loved playing in Madison Square Garden. Obviously, a Ranger name carries a, a great deal. But we kind of went through the process, and I did this with him on several occasions because, I, as I said, I developed kind of a friendship, and he would bounce things off me. He talked about Florida and playing for the Panthers, talked about Chicago. He would not go back to Chicago. He was very, very open about this, and I was kind of surprised uh, during all the, uh, the free agency talk about him possibly reuniting with uh, Patrick Kane. That was never going to happen because he felt that uh, – uh, Stan Bowman, general manager of Chicago, let him down because he enjoyed playing in Chicago so much. And the fact that he traded him and he had no say, he would never, with a say, go back to Chicago. And uh, we talked about re-signing in Columbus, etc. But I, I really knew as the season went on this year that uh, the team that he really wanted to play for were the New York Rangers. And I think that... Uh, once he got to New York and, and met with the Ranger Brass, and uh, the determination was made by he and, and his agent, uh, Paul Theophanis, that if there was any way, if the money was in the ballpark, the Rangers would be the team that he would play for, and uh, obviously that's the case. So now you got to call all 160 regular season games and, and 16 of his postseason games as a Blue Jacket. We've seen him score 12 goals in his 12 games against the Rangers, but what can you tell our audience about what he brings to a team night in and night out and what Rangers fans can expect from him? Dynamic player. Uh, sees the ice exceptionally well. You can talk about that deceptive shot he has, but i got to tell you, he is a terrific playmaker. And uh, there are a few players, and uh, I'll mention another guy that uh, I can honestly say uh, I Love to call his games, and we too became uh, reasonably good friends. Obviously, I was never in the same city that he was at the same time, but, but Wayne Gretzky, he was a second and a half ahead. He knew where his teammates were going to be at all times before. In some cases, they knew where they were. And he, Panarin, has that ability, that innate ability, to uh, pick out a player, be it Cam Atkinson or 
Pierre-Luc Dubois, and those guys were uh, just magic to watch. So I will strongly suggest, having watched Zibanejad here and his improvement over the last couple of years, that will be a dynamic uh, uh, duo for the Rangers, regardless of who plays on on the other wing. And Panarin's a right-handed shot. He'll play the left side, so it'll be somebody that can play that right wing. And I will tell you that uh, Panarin will get as much love and uh, as much of a uh, of a fire in his belly sending uh, Zibanejad or his right winger uh, ahead on a breakaway or uh, in alone as anybody uh, would scoring a goal. And uh, I think the Rangers are very fortunate. He will light up the garden on a nightly basis, believe me. Lastly, you just got to call the first playoff series win in Blue Jackets history, and I have to imagine it's pretty bittersweet as that team is taking a serious hit to the roster due to free agency. You know, we're talking about Panarin here to the Rangers, Duchesne to the Preds, Bob to the Panthers. How has the fan base reacted to those losses, and how do you think Torts will react after building a culture there and now pretty much having to start all over? Well, I don't know if it's a situation where they're going to have to really start over. They've They've got themselves, and John Tortorella deserves a lot of credit because this was a season that was uh, uh, somewhat uh, bizarre at times, and it wasn't easy uh, to keep everybody together with all the talk about free agency, etc. But I, I tell you, uh, Tortorella won the Coach of the Year award, Jack Adams, a couple of years ago. He did a better job coaching the team this year. And I think that, uh, and the Armokeka line had said it today, that they acquired Eugene at single and uh, the rest of the free agents that they signed heading into uh, the deadline. And he felt that, uh, and still feels, in his uh, post-July uh, 1st press conference, that the Blue Jackets have replacements, obviously not Panarin and Bobrovsky strong, but players that uh, can adequately help this hockey club continue in their playoff uh, pursuit. So it's a situation where it's not, I wouldn't call it rebuilding by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, with the Eastern Conference as competitive as it is, I'll tell you what, it took the Blue Jackets until the next-to-last game against the Rangers at Madison Square Gardens this season to clinch a playoff spot. I suggest that uh, teams are going to be fighting it out till the last weekend come next April, determining who makes it to the postseason. But uh, the Blue Jackets should be right there, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I never get him torts out when it comes to getting a t- the most out of his team. I enjoyed his time here. I loved covering him, and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get with torts. Uh, Jeff, we appreciate your time so much tonight. We, we'd even get into the fact that you know Larry King basically hired you for the Capitals, which boggles my mind. That, that, that's a great story as well. But we'd love to have you on during the season, and I look forward to seeing you. I already circled it on the calendar. January 19th, Columbus comes to town, so we'll definitely see you then. All right. I look forward to it anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Jeff Rimmer, play-by-play voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets.